This is the Skeptic Squared Podcast. A safe place to make light of sacred things. My name is Matt. And I'm Corinne. And in this program, we will be discussing current events related to religion, atheism, and skepticism. Our goal is not to insult believers, although that will probably happen from time to time, but rather to share our point of view on these topics in a way which will benefit and entertain others. Or maybe we just want to stroke our own egos. You decide. Welcome to the Skeptic Squared podcast. Today is Sunday, January 24th, 2016. And I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, there it is on the computer. I feel like we've had this conversation before. I'm pretty sure once before. Yes. And joining me today is my serendipitous wife, Corinne. What does that mean? It means whatever it needs to mean. Um, and today we have uh, a bunch of articles that we want to go through and some different topics and stuff. Um, Corinne, I think you have more articles than I do, so why don't you go ahead and start? Okay. Um, so this first one I found um, on Facebook. Okay. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it is because an aunt of mine, mm-hmm. who you know, mm-hmm. um, commented on it. And her comments or a little weird like the type of comment where she wants to sound like she knows what she's talking about but maybe doesn't fully understand like she's trying to about. sound smarter than she is like yeah, that kind of thing exactly. like using bigger words than she usually not does not necessarily or... bigger words but maybe her opinion hasn't been thought through 100% she still oh, holds okay. on to certain religious aspects mm-hmm. but she wants to sound like she's open minded and accepting Okay. that kind of thing okay so I, well, I'll go through a little bit of what the article talks about, and then mm-hmm. um, I want to read some of her comments. Okay. Okay. So the article that she shared and commented on, um, it was called, uh, the, uh, the title was List of, Lists of, sorry, <laughs> List of Schools Allowed to Discriminate Against LGBT Students Will Be Published Online. Oh, I saw this like all over Reddit and, oh. and some of my uh, blogger feeds and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I only saw it on Facebook, and only because she commented on it Mm -hmm. um but the article itself just talks about um that the department of education has decided to publish a list of religious schools that Mm -hmm. receive federal funding but also receive federal exemptions to discriminate against lgbt students and employees so it's just a published list that's all it is right they're not calling for action or anything it's just so it's just so that they're a little more open people Mm -hmm. can People can be aware. Yeah, they can be aware and they can decide whether or not they want to try and go to that school or not. Yeah. But, um... Like, if, perchance, they're gay. Exactly. (laughs) Or they support gay rights. Yeah. You know? Um, Or maybe if they're coming from the other direction where they want a school that discriminates. Exactly. Yeah. It goes both ways. Yeah. Um, As awful as that would be. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, so I want to read um, her comment. Okay. So her comment is, a religious school has every right to religious freedom and sticking to the tenets of their faith. There are a lot more schools out there that are not religious. I fully support civil rights, as you well know, but I also fully support religious freedom and protections. And a privately owned religious school has every right to those protections. A student can easily choose another school. I'm not saying I agree with keeping students out. To me, that seems a bit silly. But I do support Mm -hmm. their right to their religious freedom at a private school. 
Right. And so, that's, that's not the issue, though. No, exactly. And that's what I wanted to bring up. Like, you know, she's right on a certain yeah. level. Like, a religious school yes. has every right to decide who they want to have in or out of their school. Yep. But the any, problem any is private the federal. School. Yeah. Any, any private part school. Of the school. Yeah. yeah. But the problem is the federal funding. And that's exactly. the point that she's missing. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the, the same issue that we had a few years ago when there were a bunch of Catholic church or uh, Catholic owned hospitals mm-hmm. that. Uh, we're trying to discriminate against certain people and not allow certain procedures to be done, right. uh, not pay for like contraception and mm-hmm. abortion and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Which is still an issue. Right, which is still an issue. But mm-hmm. the, the issue primarily focused on the fact that they were getting government money exactly. um, to support their hospital. Mm-hmm. And they're discriminating against other people's beliefs. Right. Exactly. Know? It's like, like, how, like, where is the line? Mm-hmm. I think, like, my personal view is if they're receiving government money, then they need to be... Um, you know, not discriminating, discriminating against any group that the government deems mm-hmm. um, a group that shouldn't be discriminated against. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have race, you have sexual orientation, you have gender. Those are like the the three big ones that people focus on. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are the ones that the government has come out and said you can't discriminate against these groups. They're a protected class or right. whatever the terms mm-hmm. that they use. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, which is different than other groups that are discriminated against, like, say, pedophiles or con- right. you know, <laughs> felons or I don't know. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there, there is a distinction that's made by the government. Mm-hmm. And if a, an organization like a hospital or a school um, doesn't abide by the same rules that the government um, says for discrimination laws, mm-hmm. then they shouldn't be receiving government money because mm-hmm. it, it ultimately means that the government is supporting their discrimination. Exactly. You know. Right. And these people that are paying taxes are essentially discriminating against themselves in some, you know. Exactly, form. yeah. It's like mm-hmm. LGBT people are paying taxes just like you or I are. Yep. And those tax mo- that tax money goes to fund schools that are discriminating against, against them. them. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> I mean, that's the issue here, and that's the mm. issue that she misses. Yeah. Um, and one of her, a friend of hers does comment that that is actually what it's about. Uh-huh. But <laughs> she responds with, I'm fine disagreeing on this point. And then goes on to say that she doesn't um, that she she doesn't agree with the practice, but she recognizes the right to hold true to their beliefs in a private institution. But so that that's more or less what I was talking about. With like she's holding she on to this one concept, yeah. but she's missing the larger and more obvious point. Right, the point that actually is the point. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then that same friend, I want to read this part as well. Okay. Says. Um, that's one of the things I love about you. You can have an intelligent debate without it getting personal. Someday you'll have to tell me how you feel about the new prophecy disallowing children of LGBTs to be baptized. Oh, okay. Which is something that we've talked a lot about on a few episodes. Right. So the thing with this aunt is that I would not classify her as being um, fully active. Uh-huh. But then again, I don't live around her, so I don't know how often she goes to church. But just uh-huh. from things she says on fa- other things she says on Facebook, p- pictures she posts, like... Her lifestyle in general. At the very least, she's, she's kind she's of a liberal Mormon. Exactly. Mm. She believes in the in the church to a certain extent, but she doesn't mm. like go. She's not like a hardcore true right. believer. Right. Yeah. Kind of like how I was in my transition period. Uh-huh. I didn't go, but I still held on to a, quite a few of those tenants. Mm-hmm. But yeah, eventually moved out of it, and she's just kind of in limbo. I feel like. Yeah, which I think is really common for a lot of people that, like, like well, for instance, I went through a phase where. 
where I graduated from BYU. I, I knew that there were certain things that I didn't like about Mormonism. Um, most of the things that I was willing to acknowledge were more cultural. Mm-hmm. Like I just kind of needed a break from Mormons. Right. Um, so I stopped going to church. I stopped interacting with a lot of my Mormon friends. Um, and I just kind of avoided thinking about religion for probably a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started getting more involved in like research and looking at uh, like like say clips. Mm-hmm. Um, what, in fact, a, a similar kind of issue was um, uh, there, there were clips on YouTube that I found of uh, the let's see there was the Dover trial in Pennsylvania. And then there was the uh, the Kansas School Board of Education, like like different groups trying to get creationism or intelligent design into public schools. Mm-hmm. And so it came up again, like, you know, it, like, where is the line? Like, do we allow them to bring in their religious philosophies mm-hmm. into a public school setting where right. you're it's supposed to be inclusive and it's not supposed to be religious mm-hmm. or it's not supposed to favor one religious belief over another? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like, that kind of got me into, you know, thinking about like the implications of these sorts of things and, and diving in a little bit, a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people don't make that like, like that step going down the road of research mm-hmm. they just kind of say oh well i don't like these particular aspects but i like these aspects so i'm going right. to keep keep going uh-huh. they, they become you know cafeteria uh mormons right. or yeah. Cherry ca- pick. yeah they cherry pick mm-hmm. and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so i don't know yeah. it seems like a common thing mm-hmm. especially in utah yeah where it's so easy to become a, a jack mormon as they mm-hmm. like to call themselves or other people's like the other people like to call them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I need to read any more of her comments. I okay. Thought I, I thought I would, but there's nothing really awesome about it. Just that she doesn't agree with the policy, and she says that it's not prophecy and it's not doctrine. It's just a policy. The the policy to discriminate against children of uh-huh. LGBT people. Mm-hmm. And then her friend disagrees and says it is actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny that and... that they mentioned that because one of the articles that I decided not to do, mm-hmm. but I'll just mention, um, was from was it Elder Nelson? I was going to do that one too and decide yeah. not to. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. He, so he, he had like a. Uh, a talk that he gave to like a CES, a CES group, fireside. yeah, fireside mm-hmm. or something, that was broadcast January. like everywhere, mm-hmm. and uh, he he came out and said, "This policy is mm-hmm. revelation from God's prophet." Yep. You know, like mm-hmm. it, they they like a bunch of people were clinging clinging to the idea that there is this blurred line between policies in the general handbook of instructions mm-hmm. and prophecies from the prophet or church leaders, mm-hmm. and. Elder Nelson came out a couple weeks ago and said, nah, yep. <laughs> like it's one and the same. This, this policy is prophecy. Yeah. It is Anything a revelation. that comes directly from mm-hmm. the 12 yeah. and the prophet is prophecy. Yeah. And so that caused a big stir. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. I don't know what else I want to say about that, but yeah, that's largely why I decided not to do that article. Mm-hmm. It's like we've hit that. We've talked about repeatedly. that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, it's just, Further pushing out mm-hmm. more uh, more liberal Mormons mm-hmm. and making it a more conservative core group. Right. I, I do have an article that I want to talk about a little bit later that isn't in direct relation to that, but I think came out because of all of the okay. backlash they've received because of that. Um, but keeping with the uh, homo the LGBT theme, mm-hmm. um, so I f- found an article on Facebook as well that was um, about gay superheroes. 
say what? Yeah. <laughs> so I am in no way, shape, or form into comic books. I don't read uh, them. I'll watch the movies, but I don't read comic books. I have right. a hard time with that. You leave that. that to your brother, Daniel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although he focuses more on Batman. Yeah. But I clicked on it because it just, you know, it sounded interesting. Gay superheroes. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a novel concept to me. But after reading through the article, just, it seems like... Sir Ian e. McKellen in his younger years <laughs> fighting bigots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, it's, it's still a fairly recent thing over the last few years, um, is what I've gathered. Mm-hmm. But... Um, they are um, publishers are trying to incorporate more um, superheroes that aren't just strictly white, straight, and male, mm-hmm. which um, is pretty awesome. For yeah. you know, they they want to include more people. They're reaching out to a broader spectrum of readers, mm-hmm. and that's why they are starting to incorporate more of these characters. Um, I'm not familiar with most of the comics that they mentioned in it. Um, one okay. of them was X Men, and apparently Iceman is gay. Do you know that? character i uh, he well he's in the, he's the one that does the ice yes. like like pulls uh water from the air and makes it freeze or whatever right, right that guy yeah yeah um what was interesting about this the p- portion of the story that they um had in the article mm-hmm. um it's some like time like travel thing like his younger self mm-hmm. finds his older self and says hey i'm gay which means that you're gay mm-hmm. and I want to be more, I want to live that lifestyle more and be more open about it. And why aren't you, you know, huh. that kind of thing. And the older Iceman is having a really hard time right. accepting that he's gay. So I thought that was interesting. Um, some of the other characters, um, there's uh, apparently a girl Muslim hero huh. in one of the book and one of the comics. And there's a female Thor. A female also, Thor? Yeah. How do they work that? Because Thor is like an actual like God. mythical character. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how they work that. They didn't go into detail on that. Um, there's also a bunch of lesbians. There's some transgender characters. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few comic book lines that are like, they focus on gay characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also um, some Mexican-American characters. So they're reaching for a broad range yeah. of um, race, class, you know. That kind of thing. Mm. and But what I thought was really funny was they have a comic book called The Stripling Warrior. Uh-oh. <laughs> which features gay, lesbian, and Mormon characters. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Again, they didn't go into too much detail, but I thought that was funny, and I wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> it's intriguing enough to maybe so, find a copy so of So maybe one. we should... Like, talk about who the Stripling Warriors are. I don't okay, know, yeah. Have, have we explained them before? I don't know. We haven't really talked about the Stripling Warriors. Okay, so, let's see. They're with, uh, was it Captain Moroni, or was it's that Helaman. before? It's Helaman. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is in the Book of Mormon. This mm-hmm. is in, in Mormon scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being that these are Native Americans. Um, this was either, this was just after um, Jesus was born, right? Or just before? Like, around that time period? Yeah, like I think first, it's before... Like first century BC. Because this is the anti Nephi Lehi's, and that was before. Okay. Right. So, th- so this is like leading up to Jesus being born mm-hmm. on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have these stripling warriors. Um, they, they were the sons of um, Lamanites who didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe in God. They were like like pagan worshipers or whatever. And uh, like they're, they're the, uh, the enemy or the. Uh, the uh, the bad guys in the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. so to say. And, uh, like, this group of them um, join with the Nephites, the good guys, and they make an oath, um, the fathers of these, these kids make an oath that they will never 
um, kill another human being, even in self-defense, and like just take a complete uh, pacifist uh, position. Mm-hmm. Okay. They dig a big pit and throw all of their weapons in it. Yes, very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as would be expected, they get attacked by another group, and all of the old people that should have protected their kids and their families end up getting killed. Um, and then, you know, later their their sons are, are raised to become this new army, and they haven't taken their the same pact that their fathers mm-hmm. took, and so they're allowed to fight, and they become like this. Uh, this like holy army kind of thing, right? Um, and they they follow Helaman into the battle, and they what is it like three thousand or whatever? There's two thousand stripling warriors. Yeah, two thousand of them or whatever. Mm-hmm. They they go to battle, and uh, something like zero people died. Yeah, for quite a few of the battles, <laughs> none of them get killed. I think in the first battle, none of them even get like seriously injured. Mm-hmm. As the battles continue, they do start getting more serious injuries, but none of them die. Still. Right, and, and it's because you know they're so holy. They believe in Jesus. You know. Right fighting for their side they're fighting for the right exactly and, and god protects them and mormons view this as like a a metaphor for the missionaries mm-hmm. that go out and like knock on doors and talk to people and mm-hmm. try to get them to join mormonism yeah. like they 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 draw lots of parallels to that story mm-hmm. for the missionaries um and in all of the like artwork mormon artwork it's always them like the the stripling warriors are always like big buff um like he-man looking dudes you know Kind of. It's just—it's really funny. I, I think it's really funny, like the way that they often depict them, mm-hmm. you know. So for them to have this uh, this comic where they have uh, like gay members and stuff, are they are they part of the Stripley Warriors? Or I don't know. It didn't okay. go into detail again, so it might be interesting guys? to find one. <laughs> I think just throughout, like, because the, the cover that um, they had um, in the article was uh-huh. a picture of two men in bed and like mm-hmm. this woman angel type looking character mm-hmm. is like in their bedroom and one of them is waking up almost like you know the picture of joseph smith when moroni comes and he's mm. like shielding his eyes that's kind of what it looks like okay so i'm thinking that there are gay mormons mm-hmm. and stuff like that in in it i don't know specifically though Okay, well, it's still interesting. Yeah, it it'll, is it'll interesting. Be interesting it's... to see where they take that. Yeah, because <laughs> it seems like just very, I don't know, conflicting ideas. Right, that's why it might be together. fun to find an issue or something. See mm-hmm. if there's something online and read through it just to see. Yeah, cool. Um, so is that? That's all you have for that. Uh-huh. Cool. So let me go into what I have one of the articles that I have. So this was something that was posted earlier this week, so January 19th. Mm-hmm. It's from a blog that I've never seen before, but it's like this this uh, young Mormon couple, okay, mm-hmm. who they've noticed that there's this trend in the church of people leaving the church and becoming ex-Mormons just and, this. and uh, anti-Mormons. Anti-Mormons. Okay? Um, and according to them, they uh, like all of these people, including some of their family members, have really, really bad reasons for doubting the church. Oh yes. Okay. So they have this post on their blog. What's the blog called? The blog itself is called Happiness Seekers, and then it has a subtitle: Our Thoughts on the Search for Happiness, which is mm. you know a play on the Mormon phrase, "Man's Search for Meaning" or whatever. That's uh, a Mormon or, phrase. Isn't it? I haven't it? heard that. Mansers for happiness, like one of the one of those. I think there's a book. There's oh, that would be why I don't know. A- anyway, um, so that's their blog. 
Um, the article is titled, Five Reasons mm-hmm. Anti-Mormon Arguments Are Totally Unconvincing. Okay. So this is from a guy named Dustin Phelps. And his wife, I think, is named Britt. Or Brittany. He calls her Britt a lot in this article. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have you know, an introduction where they talk about some of their family members and friends leaving the church and uh, how they have been exposed to anti-Mormon literature and they have all these really bad arguments. Um, let's see. So the first actual argument that they address, mm-hmm. um, titled number one, mm-hmm. is negative evidence isn't all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, it's a bit confusing. <laughs> well, the word negative is, I don't know. I f- the word negative, what is the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Never mind. Yeah, so it took me a couple reads over the first couple paragraphs to really understand what it is that they're talking about mm-hmm. as far as negative evidence. Right. Because, like, initially it sounds like they're addressing the, the issue of, uh, like, the, the, the argument, um, absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence, mm-hmm. which is just a completely fallacious argument. Um, like, there are definitely exceptions to that. The, the most obvious exception is... Um, it like it's true unless you have reason to to expect evidence. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a reason to expect that there would be evidence if something happened, there not being evidence means that it probably didn't happen. You know. Anyway, so okay. so let me let me just read what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, many intellectuals they like the word intellectuals. They this. love the they word intellectuals. Yeah. Um, many intellectuals argue that negative evidence is supreme. To understand what they mean by this, consider the hypothesis that all swans are white. According to these intellectuals, it doesn't matter how many white swans you find, you never really prove that all swans are white. However, as soon as you find one black swan, you have disproved the theory that all swans are white. They conclude that positive evidence doesn't ever really prove anything, but negative evidence can. And it's easy to see why they think that way. This is the approach that ex-Mormons have taken to their faith. In the face of unsettling information, they disregard all, all of the positive evidence because they think that a few points of negative evidence is sufficient to end the discussion. And given how logical the above reasoning seems to be, it's no wonder why. But they're not ending the discussion. No. Like, even in the case of the swans, they're not ending the discussion. Right, and, and the thing that they're, they're... Okay, so going off of his ridiculous hypothesis that mm-hmm. all swans are white, finding a single swan that is black does, in fact, disprove the hypothesis that all swans are white. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right and you they know. leave, and they say, and like... In, intellectuals as they mm-hmm. like to use say that you know keep looking for that evidence because not all because swans aren't extinct like if it was an animal or something in the past you could make more of a conclusive statement right but mm-hmm. like because it's swans they still exist they are they continually right. are born so there's always the chance that there will be a different colored swan right like i think i think what he's trying to do is draw a parallel between the idea that all swan swans are white with the idea that the Mormon church is 100% true. Okay. okay. So when you find evidence that shows that the Mormon church may have 
uh, not being completely honest about a particular thing, uh-huh. that's considered negative evidence. And then people look at that one thing and ignore all of the great things that the Mormon church okay. got right mm-hmm. and just focus on the negative thing mm-hmm. and ignore all the positive things. You see where he's, okay. where he's going. Yeah. Like, that's where he's going okay. with it. I, I still think the example's ridiculous yeah, and his reasoning isn't example. very, it's not very well um, formed. Right. Um, anyway, so he gives a few more examples of like Newton's laws of physics and how we had to change physics and blah, blah, blah. Um, which, which I don't know if you're familiar with the way physics has evolved over the years, but so so Newton was alive a couple hundred years ago, and he came up with his laws of physics that describe um, the way physics works on Earth really well. But as soon as we started to you know expand our understanding to like say the stars and planets, um, or like really small things like atoms and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, his laws of physics didn't really work as well in like making predictions and the, the mathematics weren't matching up quite right. Um, and so you had um, like Einstein coming up with this theory of rev- relativity where mm-hmm. it focused primarily on planetary um, interactions with other planets and stars and things and because they interact differently than the way things interact here on Earth. And through that, he w- Einstein was able to um, accurately predict um, an eclipse. Okay. When an eclipse would happen, mm-hmm. um, so that that was his positive evidence for his theory of, of relativity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. So he's 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 talking about how Newton's laws worked really well here on Earth, and then we started finding that there was negative oh. evidence out in the stars and the planets and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that so does that mean that Newton's laws don't work here on Earth? Like like he's trying to draw that uh-huh. kind of a, okay. a parallel. Uh-huh. But again, like it's it's just kind of shoddy logic. Um, so let me just read the way he ends this. Um, let's see. So I could give you a list of examples a mile long of incredibly disconcerting and persuasive arguments that have been made against the church since its founding. If it's a mile long, shouldn't that be a red flag? Right. That's not just some negative evidence. Right. But, okay. But have since been invalidated by new information. Keyword new. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, how many accounts against the prophet turned out to be forgeries? So he has a link here to the Mark Hoffman forgeries. Uh, so things like the Salomon letter that showed how ridiculous it was that Joseph Smith saw an angel in the form of a salamander. Mm-hmm. It turned out that that was a forgery. He didn't see an angel in the form of a salamander. But, it was a toad, wasn't it? Right. So if you, if you look at other <laughs> accounts, it turns out that there are accounts of him saying that he saw an angel in the form of a toad. Right. So it wasn't a salamander. It was a toad. Yeah. Um, but you don't get that in this article. Right. Um, so that's one of his examples. How many Book of Mormon animals and crops were supposedly non-existent before, the, before European settlement, but in recent years were discovered to have ancient American date? Ancient American date? Yes, that's, that's how he types it. But they haven't. Not all of them. There have been a couple of things. Like there, I can't remember the list. There's, if you go onto Wikipedia, they have a really good list of all the anachronisms. Uh-huh. And then they have a list of things that were thought to be anachronisms. But oh. we now know they, that there was, there was some form of it. Okay. But, but we still don't have steel swords. Right. We still don't have chariots. We still, still don't have, have horses. horses. We still don't have elephants. Right. Like There's still a, a lot of pretty glaring mistakes. Yeah, that should have some evidence, right. especially in the numbers that they purport. Exactly. Um, 
He goes on, ever hear about the Spalaman Rigdon theory? Probably not. It used to be all the rage in the anti-Mormon community, but it's now joined the long list of discredited claims against the church. So Spalding Rigdon theory, from what I understand, is basically uh, Sidney Rigdon, who was one of the scribes for the Book of Mormon, um, pulled a lot of information from the Solomon Spalding document um, to kind of embellish Mm -hmm. the story that Joseph Smith was coming up for the Book of Mormon. Did he, like, take the manuscript or something? For, yeah, from what I understand, um, he, uh, Sidney Rigdon was like working in the publisher's the publisher, yeah. house or whatever that was printing the Solomon mm-hmm. letters or whatever it was, and he stole the manuscript yeah. and then uh, forged it. So, or not forged it, uh, plagiarized it. Right. Um, and and for him to just say that it's completely discredited is is silly because okay. there were still people who looked to that as a, a credible alternative right. to the idea that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon from gold plates using seer stones or from mm-hmm. a Urim and Thummim, mm-hmm. you know, like through magic, essentially. Right. Yeah, the problem with that theory, though, too, is that there is there is evidence that he did, and there's mm-hmm. also evidence, like, there aren't a lot of witness accounts that say that he did, too, and that's part of the problem. That's, like, why he can get away yeah. with saying that. Mm-hmm. Because it's not something that we can prove it's not 100%. Settled. But but here's... Yet. But, but from, for me, any natural explanation mm-hmm. is is always going to be more tenable right. than a supernatural, supernatural yeah. explanation. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. So even, even if, if he didn't take the manuscript, <laughs> he had access to it. He read through it. Like, mm-hmm. they were good friends. Yeah. He knew what they said. Yeah. Um, okay, so he, continuing on. To be fair, there are certainly things about the church and its history that continue to defy any honest attempt to explain. But again, if we are sincere in the quest for in our quest for truth... We will be very careful about how much weight we give negative evidences, considering all the context we are potentially missing. While no one should reject negative evidences blindly, the sincere seeker of truth will consider the possibility of missing context and fairly weigh the negative evidence against the positive evidences, not to mention the potential of, and this is in bold letters, spiritual witnesses. Okay. It's just funny because people that like research this stuff aren't discounting context. Like they're looking at the context, and that's part they're of the reason for why context. exactly <laughs> they use the context. They, you need the context to mm-hmm. understand that. And Mormon, the Mormon Church, completely discounts that. Yeah, or they leave it alone completely. Yeah, yeah. like right. they did with the seer stones. They just yeah. ignored it for years, even though they had the seer mm-hmm. stones. Right. You know, they just allowed people to speculate, mm-hmm. and then you know, 150 years. After Joseph Smith died, they finally say, oh, yeah, we have those. Yeah. Here's a picture of them. Right. You know. <laughs> or the fact that this church came about during this huge religious revival. You know, yeah. they touch on it that there were mm-hmm. lots of, there was, like, religious um, strife throughout the land. But, you know, they don't mm-hmm. bring up the whole, churches were springing up everywhere. Right. Okay, so the second point that he makes is the evidence in favor of the Restoration is truly extraordinary. So the Restoration is the idea that the Catholic Church really messed things up back in medieval times. The whore of all the earth. Right, and then uh, Joseph Smith had to come in and set things straight. Mm -hmm. So now we have the the Church as Jesus organized it. Mm -hmm. So that's the Mormon Church, the way that they see it themselves. Um, Okay, so he says, Joseph Smith prophesied that he would be proven a quote, a true prophet by circumstantial evidence. Wait, read that again? Joseph Smith prophesied that he would be proven a true prophet by circumstantial evidence. 
Okay. Now, more than ever, the evidence is mounting in Joseph's favor. <laughs> How? Do they give you a list? <laughs> they do, in fact. Um, I'll get to that in a second. And I don't care if you think the Book of Mormon was actually written by Oliver Cowdery or Sidney Rigdon, or if you think that a 23-year-old Joseph Smith was some kind of genius, you still can't explain away what a feat the Book of Mormon would be if it truly was an invention. Oh my god, it's not a feat. It's a terribly written book. It's terribly written. Oh, it's so, it would not, so plagiarized. It would not be published in this day and age. No. No publisher would take a book like that. No. Like, half of it is straight out of the New Testament or from the book of Isaiah. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, like, the stories are dry, the characters are one-dimensional. They don't link? Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> they skip, like, decades at a time to yeah. to, to, to uh, get forward to a point where something kind of interesting happens, and then yeah, they spend, they like, spend... 30 chapters on it. Uh-huh. And then they go back in time, and you mm-hmm. have no idea, and you get confused, and they use the same names for people. Like, yeah. it's a terribly written story. Yeah. So if it was an invention, it's a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just supports the theory that he was illiterate. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he does actually um, provide a list of evidences. Um, let's see. So he, I guess he has circumstantial another... evidence. Right. Circumstantial what... evidence is stuff that you can't use in a court, right? Circumst- circumstantial means that they're basically coincidences that are non-conclusive. Which is evidence you can't use in a courtroom, right? Right. right. Okay. Right. I just want to make sure I'm understanding circumstantial evidence. Yeah, that, that's the way I understand it, at least. Um, so, okay. So, he says, Since the evidences are so incredible, and I want to do them a decent, a decent justice, I'll have to take them up in a future article. So he has a link to another article that he's working on. I haven't looked at it yet. Um, however, the following is a teaser of that longer and more detailed list of evidence. So the first one that he has is the Book of Mormon, from start to finish, is filled with ancient Hebraic art forms. I can only assume that he's talking about chiasmus. Um, okay, he goes on. The LDS Church wasn't even aware of this until the missionary discovered it in, 19, in the 1950s. Um, you've got to see what our forthcoming article has on this. So chiasmus, for those who don't know, um, is a, a poetic form um, where you start with a theme, let's say theme A, and then you move on to theme B, and then theme C, and then theme D, and then you get to halfway through the poem, and then you start going through re- reverse order, so you go D, C, B, A. So the, the focus in the center is like the, the main point that's trying to be conveyed, and it's just, it's just a, a form of poetry. Mm-hmm. It's super simple. Mm-hmm. It's a really simple concept. It's something that you can even do without really thinking about it. Yeah. And, and we have examples of this happening um, in lots of different forms of, of literature. It's not even just the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews that did it. Mm-hmm. You know, like Shakespeare has examples of it. There's other books that have examples of it. Didn't you find an article that talked about this a while back? I did, but I don't remember what it said. Mm. Anyway, so it's not as, uh, you know, earth-shaking or, you know, like this, this right. grand it's a revolution. Common form of poetry right um the second point that he makes again evidences for the book of mormon says uh the book of mormon explains a monetary system that has (laughs) that happens that happens to not only be closely related to the ancient egyptian one but that also constitutes the most efficient money system the world has ever known 
Does he understand this money system? Because I don't. It's really confusing the it way that so they the way that they, they describe it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like everything's a tenth of everything else, or something. And yeah, and then there's the one thing that includes all of the things. It's as big as everything. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So yeah, he doesn't explain in any way how this is the most efficient money system the world has ever known. So I do have a question about that. Do we okay. have evidence of coins nope. or like a money system? That's what I thought. Nope. Because I mean, as, it, as far as it's I know, mostly like on the barter system, generally, right? Right. As far as I know, um, they have yet to find any evidence that any Native American tribes used any form of currency. Right. Like it was all about bartering and trading. Yeah. Um, assuming that they did anything like that. Any, any form right. of commerce. Right. Um, but, yeah, like coins, Yeah. no evidence of coins. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was mm-hmm. remembering that correctly. Yeah. Um, next point, the Book of Mormon's seamless fit with Bible doctrines and the lack of self-contradiction is incredible. <laughs> the lack of self-contradiction <laughs> might be a new thing in comparison to the Bible, but... Well, I mean, if you look at it from... A book of fiction. Mm-hmm. It's just a story. It's a narrative. Right. It just starts from one point of history and just goes to another point of history. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like like there's no need for like a consistent plot point to show up at another date or whatever. But there are things I guess that they could point to. Like for instance, in the first book of Nephi, it talks about how Jesus is going to appear in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It makes that. Quote, prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he does. And then he does. <laughs> right. Could that possibly have been, you know, the whole point that Joseph Smith was trying to make when he was writing this thing? Right. Or, or maybe there's, there, there is an alternative theory that, um, well, we've, we've talked a little bit about the 116 lost pages. Mm-hmm. And uh, how that was the book of Lehi. Mm-hmm. And Martin Harris's wife um, convinced him to take the manuscript um, so that she could look at it or whatever, and then she ended up stealing it and blah, blah, blah. So it was a lost... They, they lost, essentially, the first book of the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And so, um, miraculously, Joseph Smith, or, or uh, in the Book of Mormon, Nephi, Je- uh, Lehi's son, wrote the same story in a separate book. And, and says that he did. And, and says that he did this, and didn't know why he was doing it, but that the Lord was preparing was something. directed by the Spirit. Right. Like, as if that's not, like a glaringly obvious <laughs> counter to you know to somebody trying to pin him down you know but but the but even with that story um from what i what i've heard from different historians um joseph didn't write or quote translate the first book of nephi, nephi um until after he had finished translating everything else mm-hmm. so he started with the book of lehi went to you know the the point in the story where it continues after the book of lehi ends so where second nephi begins and then writes the whole book and then comes back because he's missing the first book he's probably hoping that it would resurface or something mm-hmm. figures out that it's not going to happen so he just retrofits all of this stuff mm-hmm. well you know it's it's pretty easy to fit in things that happen at the end of the book in the beginning of the book mm-hmm. if you're just rewriting the beginning of the book mm-hmm. after you've written the end of the book right you know it's mm-hmm. like it's not that hard to mm-hmm. put that together uh-huh. you know but even so it's like like even if it is completely you know consistent internally consistent so what mm-hmm. so is star trek <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> right. i don't know it's, it it just doesn't make it seem like this this fantastic supernatural thing that the only explanation is Joseph Smith got this from God. Right. Um, 
The last point that he makes as circumstantial evidence is it is difficult to imagine a fraud producing so much good. Ha 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 ha. He can say that now because they do a lot more good than they did then. Mm-hmm. But even today, it's still very harmful. Right. And what is it? 2% of the church's earnings actually go to humanitarian aid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, the, the beginning of this church brought us polygamy, mm-hmm. you know, which is still in effect today in some areas. And still ruining and, lives. And still ruining lives. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, blood atonement. Yeah. All of the guilt and shame associated with sexuality. Yeah. Sexual you know, repression. Oh my gosh, yeah. No. The, all the issues that they're having with the gay community right yeah, now. None of those work because there's plenty of evidence discounting yeah. all of those. Yeah, and and the fact that they they point to the missionary efforts um, and then like humanitarian efforts where they put sandbags down during Hurricane mm-hmm. Katrina. Mm-hmm. Like that's supposed to make up for all of the you know gay Mormon teens that are living on the streets right now in Salt Lake right. City. Right. Like really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. The third... Um, let's see. So the third section in this is anti-Mormon arguments are like conspiracy theories. Oh my God. Um, conspiracy. Yeah. So basically he's saying that, that the, the church is like the government and anti-Mormons are like conspiracy theorists who don't trust anything the government says. Mm -hmm. And anytime the government tries to counter anything that they say, or, or uh, providing any sort of counter to their conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. they just say, well, you can't trust them because they're the government. Okay, so that's essentially what he's saying anti-Mormons do with the church. They're saying, well, you can't believe the church because they're the church. You can't believe what the church says because they're biased. You know, like the church is doing this and they don't want you to, don't want you to know it. Um, Which in some respects is true. Right. <laughs> so let's see. Um... <laughs> I don't think I want to read the whole thing of this. Okay, so I'll read this part. The um, anti-Mormons get to present the facts and half-truths and outright lies in whatever manner they please. But when the church releases context or LDS scholars presents alternative views, anti-Mormons paint these attempts as worthy of dismissal since they come from a biased from biased sources. That makes no sense, and doing so means that they are assuming their conclusion is true without actually caring about proving it to be true. Okay. Do you see the the glaring problem with that one? The projection that's going on? Yeah. So, so, yeah, so this is something that Mormons do all the time. They assume that the church is true, Mm -hmm. and they don't provide any evidence to support that it's true. They Mm -hmm. all base it on this, what they would call the spiritual witness. Mm -hmm. Um, and would, completely dis- discount anything against it. Mm-hmm. Um, then he tries to, otherwise. yeah. So then he tries to compare it to um, people saying that uh, we didn't actually land on the moon, and then NASA comes out with arguments saying we did land on the moon, and all these things that you're pointing to, like the, the flag waving or, uh-huh. or that kind of stuff, um, like those things are are silly. Like this is the reason why that happened that way, uh-huh. and the, the conspiracy theorists are saying. That you know, it's it's ridiculous. Like it doesn't make any sense. You're just saying that because you're you're NASA. You work you work with the government and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
So he goes on, furthermore, tough questions NASA might pose in its defense, such as if the moon landing were really a conspiracy, how could they have kept the secrets for so, for so long? Wouldn't an astronaut or film crew worker have spilled the truth by now? Or a lot like, um, why did none of the 11 witnesses de- deny their testimony of seeing the gold plates, particularly when several of them became disaffected? This is a very common argument. Right, so the 11 witnesses, you, you want to explain who they are? Uh, I don't remember their names. Well, they're just what their purpose is oh, in the book. Their purpose book was bowling. to declare that they had seen the gold plates, right? I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. their purpose. They had the three witnesses and then the eight witnesses later. Yeah, so, so these are men that Joseph Smith got together... Um, to show them the plates. And it should be pointed from. out that most of these men had a vested interest mm-hmm. in this. Right, these are the founders of the church. Yeah, a lot of them and, were family members, family members of Joseph Smith mm-hmm. or of um, the other... Whitmer. Whitmer. David Whitmer. Yeah, those were the two big ones, right? Mm-hmm. Whitmer and Smith. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, others had invested heavily in having this book published. Including Martin Harris, who was yeah. one of the three witnesses. Who mortgaged his farm for this book. Right. Um but with the, the first group, the eight witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first one? Mm-hmm. Oh. Pretty sure. Anyway, so, so they saw the plates with a cloth over it. <laughs> they didn't actually get to see the, the, uh, right. the plates themselves. Mm-hmm. And then the other witnesses, the three witnesses, they got to see the plates with an angel. Yeah, it was a spiritual witness. A spiritual witness. And they said that they examined the plates and saw the, the curious workmanship and the engravings and mm-hmm. could tell that it was an ancient language and all this stuff. It's like, these are not scholars. These are not men that actually would be able to read it or verify anything right. that's on it. Right. Like, or why does their testimony... to see if it was like real gold. Yeah, why was their testimony... Like, why does it even matter that they saw something? Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> right. And then Martin Harris, didn't he wasn't even there when they first saw, saw quote unquote, the plates. Right? right. He actually had, like, a, he saw them in his mind's eye. Right. Which so, he actually admits to. So it was Joseph Smith, Martin Harris, and then I think Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer or Sidney Rigdon. Anyway, so, so they have the three witnesses plus Joseph Smith. They were trying to induce... This spiritual experience, have the angel appear with the gold plates mm-hmm. so they could examine them and then mm-hmm. be the witnesses of, this, of the Book of Mormon and all that. And they couldn't get the, the angel to appear. They kept praying and praying and praying. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so they convinced Martin Harris that, um, that he was probably the reason why it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he backed out, mm-hmm. let them have their experience, let the angel show up. Mm-hmm. Okay, And then later... He had his own spiritual experience and claimed to see the angel and all that stuff. This is a man, Martin Harris, who thought that a deer walking alongside him while he was traveling between cities was the embodiment of Jesus Christ. And he had a conversation with this deer. Right. And I'm pretty sure it's been said of Martin Harris (laughs) that he was extremely superstitious, like more superstitious than... Most people in his that own day and wife, age. His own wife described him as a superstitious, gullible man. Yeah, which is saying something because mm-hmm. they were all fairly superstitious. Right, but he was just—he's just really bad with money. Apparently, yeah. Um, he was kind of on a fluke. Ended up making some money with his farm, and then Joseph Smith totally just took advantage of that and mm-hmm. duped him. Yeah. At least that's how I see it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so that's about all he has to say for conspiracy theories. Um, 
The fourth section is anti-Mormon literature uses deceptive presentation tricks. Um, I'm not going to read very much so about this. It's just so ironic because they are talking about their own literature without realizing it. Mm-hmm. So, so he he talks about you know there being nuanced reasons for why Joseph Smith did certain things. The fact that he was a treasure hunter before he found the gold plates, um, the way he used folk magic to translate the gold plates, all that kind of stuff. Um, okay, so there is one thing that I do want to read from this section. In these and so many other cases, it is not the force of reason that drives people from the church. It is the effect of emotion. Uh, completely wrong. Completely opposite. Yeah, it's completely opposite. <laughs> like, that one just jumped out at me. Yeah. It's like, holy crap, you have not met my family or, no. or some of my friends. Well, I you haven't I even recognized their own so emotions. Right. But, but yeah, like... Okay, so there is something else that I want to read, because he does elaborate on this. Okay. Um, in addition to manipulating information that few members know about, anti-Mormons also talk about things that happened 200 years ago that are difficult to understand from a modern perspective. Without putting ourselves in their shoes and understanding all of the facts of the day, things that aren't really that big of a deal suddenly appear to be very important pieces of negative evidence. Actually, that's not the thing that I thought I was reading. <laughs> okay, so okay, so that leads into the fifth section. Sorry, um, a spiritual witness is a really good reason to doubt your doubts. Oh my gosh. Okay, so here here is where he kind of elaborates on the difference between emotion and a spiritual witness. Okay. That's that's what I was trying to read before, oh, okay. but I, I read the wrong section. Anyway, so the real reason I believe in Christ. In, and in the restored church is because of the spiritual experiences I have had. Human reason is limited, pure and simple. Whatever atheists tell you, they have to exercise faith too. Mm. Isn't that a tired argument? Yeah. <laughs> there are just so many things that are unknowable, and that is why personal revelation is so important. Revelation bridges the gap between what humans think they know and the truth that only God can distill. Mm -hmm. So what he's saying here is there are just tons and tons of things that we don't understand that we cannot know, that are unknowable. Mm -hmm. And personal revelation bridges the gap so that you can know the unknowable. That's what he's saying. Okay. So when you experience, this is him continuing, experience personal revelation confirming the existence of God, Christ's love for humankind, the Book of Mormon's veracity, and Joseph Smith's sacred calling, it only makes sense that this would be an overpowering piece of evidence. It may be evidence that no one else can understand, but it is evidence, and it is certainly logical to draw conclusions from it. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because you have not yet um, been able to demonstrate or give... uh, a sound logical reason for why you know Mm -hmm. or how you know that this is in fact Mm -hmm. revelation from God. Spiritual witness does not fly in a court of law. Right. Spectral evidence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. And it is emotionally driven regardless of what he says. Mm -hmm. It is. Right. So then he, he goes on to talk about how he had a quote crisis of faith before his mission he just prayed and read scriptures for a really long time until he had this overwhelming sensation blah 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 
Would you say it's accurate for a lot of missionaries to have some kind of crisis of faith? Oh, I know several. I know several. I mean, I would think that it's pretty widespread just because they're about to mm-hmm. devote two years of their mm-hmm. teenage life to this. And There's I think a, ton a lot of, of it is just like, is this something I really mm-hmm. should be doing or want to do? Oh, yeah. I, I remember one day driving home from church and um, with, with some friends or whatever, and we saw a guy from another ward who, who uh, attended uh, a ward in the same building mm-hmm. um, who was just wandering around the streets like, like he was like not really paying attention to what was going on. He seemed to be kind of out of it, and he was like you know teary eyed, clearly you know depressed, mm-hmm. um, like something emotional had just happened, and he was like worked up. So we we pulled over, and you know he got in the car, or whatever. He's like, hey man, what's going on? It's like, oh, I'm just I'm just having like a really hard time, and like just a lot of like spiritual things are going on right now, and he's like like less than a month, probably a couple of weeks away from going on his mission. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so so here is where he tries to draw a distinction between um, emotion and spiritual and witness. Spiritual witness. Okay. Um, I'm not talking about the type of feeling you get when you hear a touching story. You can experience that with or without the spirit. I'm also not talking about the feeling you get when you hear something that, that defies human understanding and the hair on the back of your neck stands up. You can experience that with or without the spirit. I'm talking about something else. And if you don't know what that something else is, I challenge you to discover it. Just remember that half-hearted scripture study here and there doesn't cut it. God expects more from us. I hate the LDS challenge. Yeah. You say that in everything. Yeah. The end of every lesson. Mm Mm-hmm. And and in no way does he actually clarify no, the difference. No, doesn't explain anything. Like it's still completely vague, yeah. and it it all it does is it it gives people a reason to look for a difference. Right. And then when they think that they found a difference, they say, "Aha, there's a difference." Mm-hmm. But they can't describe what it is. They they can't measure anything about it. Like like they cannot point to what the difference actually is. Right. And lots of people, and this is I think the the takeaway here. Lots of people who disaffect from the church. Um, when they look back at those those experiences, those spiritual experiences where they thought that they were experiencing something different than just regular emotion, mm-hmm. look back and say, you know what? There wasn't a difference. Right. You know, there were lots of times when I thought I was feeling the spirit and then, you know, looking back at it, it's like, oh, I felt the same thing when I was watching Save a Private Ryan or when I was listening to, you know, this album or, right. you know, watching this movie or right. or talking to family members about this topic, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Or it was legitimately like some kind of a dramatic experience that you mm-hmm. were going through, you know. So you are emotionally worked up, but, mm-hmm. oh, you get this overwhelming, calming feeling suddenly, and it's like, oh, that's the spirit. Yep. No. Yeah. When you're, when you're invested so much into this idea, mm-hmm. into this church, um, you invest time and money. And lots of resources. Yeah. Um, you have uh, a reason for it to stay true. Mm-hmm. It's called the sunk cost fallacy. You mm-hmm. you think that because you've like like subconsciously, mm-hmm. you think that because you've invested all of these the, these hours and given ten percent of your money for all these years, mm-hmm. it can't possibly be true. If it's true, you've wasted all of these resources. Mm-hmm. It has to be true right. in order to validate all of the time and money that you've spent. In this organization, mm-hmm. and lots of people fall into that, mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's a few people that I can think of right now. Um, in particular, there was a, a a guest on a podcast that I was listening to where she basically ex- ex- 
kind of uh, admitted to it, although I don't think she would phrase it in this way, admitted that there is that sunk cost that's kind of holding her in. Mm -hmm. You know, she has invested lots of time and money into Mm -hmm. this idea, Mm -hmm. and she has a hard time letting go of that. Mm -hmm. Like, she has to find a reason to stay. In her particular case, the reason that she stays is because of the sense of community, Mm -hmm. Um, which, not to be discounted, it's great for insiders, not so great when you leave. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's pretty much all I have from that article. Okay. Um, you have another one? Yes. Uh, we're going to move away a little bit from the LDS Church in particular, but we are going to stay in Utah with this one. Okay. So this one, the article is called, More, pa- More Utah Parents Opt Out of Immunization for Kids. Mm. And this came out January 11th th- of this year. That's sad. Yeah. So um, the Utah Department of Health compiled a list that shows that more Utah children are being exempted from immunizations by their parents. And Mm -hmm. the scary thing about that is that the numbers from um, last year are very close to the 5% threshold that puts herd herd immunity at risk. Oh, Um, okay. And in the article, it does tell you what the percentage is. So herd immunity occurs when 95% of the population is immunized. immunized. That's higher than I thought. Yeah. So it is pretty high. Um, So the number of the percentage of Utah children um, in in preschool and kindergarten that haven't been immunized Mm -hmm. from last year is 4.61%. Oh, wow. Super close to that 5% threshold. And that's up from from 4.33% from the previous year. So it's Mm -hmm. slowly moving up. they give a harder number. It's 2,315 kids out of 50,000 that are not immunized. Okay. Which is a fair amount of kids. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you just put one of those kids in each school, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the state, like, that's a huge risk. Yeah. Um, the numbers are based on all Utah public schools and all but 14 private schools, and that includes some daycares. So they got a wide range. It wasn't just a localized mm-hmm. study. It was the entire state. Um, and, yeah. and this is a growing trend nation, nation, nationwide. Yeah, nationwide. You know? It's a huge thing in California. Mm-hmm. And I was, I clicked on the article because I was a little bit surprised by the title that more kids aren't being immunized in Utah. Yeah. Um, so the vaccine that's most commonly refused by parents is the MMR vaccine, which is the measles, mumps, and rubella. Um, which, from what I understand, is one of the most important ones. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's one of the first ones you get. Yeah. Um, like that and polio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, um, the article continues to, um, that parents are exempting kids from shots for religious or medical reasons, um, but most do it for personal reasons. Most of them don't either don't believe in vaccines mm-hmm. or they still believe um, that vaccines cause autism, which has been thoroughly debunked. Oh, yeah. The guy that came out with that article lost his license for it. Right. Well, he admitted know. that he was paid up, yeah. by a company to, to come up with that conclusion. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and this was like, like within a couple of years of it being published, mm-hmm. like 15 years ago or whenever mm-hmm. it was, like it has been debunked and admitted a hoax mm-hmm. for over a decade. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Seriously. It's been debunked over and over and over and over again. There mm-hmm. is no evidence lending itself to this other side yeah. whatsoever. So, just, just on that topic, I've mm-hmm. so uh, I've taken courses on like psychology and and uh, special education and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And in one of my special ed classes, I took um, we talked about this phenomenon mm-hmm. because obviously it's a hot bed, it's a hot button issue. It, mm-hmm. it comes up a lot, and and so 
you know, professionals right. working with kids in, in mm -hmm. a, the mental health industry need to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember my, my teacher talking about this, and she said, she made some very interesting points. She said, um, like, there is an increase in autism, okay? Like, we can show the numbers, but there are um, other factors going on mm -hmm. than just simply people having an, uh, an immunization. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, for instance, they changed the definition of what autism is oh, yeah. so that it's not just autism. It's the autism spectrum, mm -hmm. which includes other um, diagnoses that didn't used to be considered autism, such as Asperger's disease. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the other big factor is that the uh, techniques... Um, used to identify or diagnose autism are a lot better than they used to be. Mm -hmm. Like, there have been significant advances in their ability to detect autism. Mm -hmm. And so those things combined make it look like there's this huge spike. Right. And, you know, on some level there is a huge spike, mm -hmm. but it's because we've changed the definition to we're be broader and we're more aware of it. Mm -hmm. And, I, yeah, that's the other thing is, like, like people are just more aware of autism these days yeah. and uh, they're kind of looking for it. Like if their kid gets to the age of three or four and doesn't really talk, then they suspect autism. Mm -hmm. And so you have a lot of people kind of rushing to the doctor to say like, does my kid have autism? Mm -hmm. Whereas in generations past, not many people knew what autism was. They didn't know the cause of it. They didn't mm -hmm. know this or that. And so people just didn't think about it very much. Mm -hmm. You know, you go, you skip ahead like another 20, 30 years, there will be another diagnosis that everybody's talking about. And all of a sudden we'll see another influx. Mm -hmm. Like it happens, mm -hmm. you know. Anyway, so th those are my two cents. <laughs> just to um, clarify a little bit. <laughs> uh, and then another reason they stated for parents exempting kids um, is because they're worried about their kids having a serious allergic reaction. Mm. Um, and they, uh, the article states that there are cases of like minor reactions, nothing like life threatening or anything. Um, and that happens from time to time. Like even sure. with like the tetanus shot, you can get, you can have an allergic reaction from that, but it's not life threatening and it doesn't necessarily counter that, um, vaccine right right and then um as far as a serious allergic reaction goes the cdc has said that the chances of a child suffering a serious reaction is about one in one million which to me isn't oh, wow. a good enough reason to not vaccinate your child well there's only three million people in the state of utah <laughs> yeah so three kids so three in the kids entire state might have a serious reaction right and not even necessarily kids yeah. three people, people. Right. in utah mm -hmm. might have a reaction exactly that's just to me that's not mm -hmm firm enough ground to not immunize your kid. But I kind of wanted to touch mm. a little bit on this um, religious reason, um, okay. which is part of the reason why I'm surprised in Utah there's a growing trend of kids not being um, vaccinated, mm -hmm. mostly because the Mormon church has never touched the vaccination issue. Yeah. Like a lot of people for religious reasons have started not vaccinating their kids specifically because their church mm. says that it's a bad thing. The church has, the LDS church has never come out and said vaccines are bad. Right. And I, I can't think of a single time when they've commented at all on vaccines yeah, they have, as a yeah, church. I can't think of any either in any mm -hmm. like past general conference talks, anything. Right. Like as far as I know, like the medical community in the church is pretty strong. Like they have mm -hmm. a lot of medical oh, yeah. standing. Right, because the, the standard the standard um, concept in the Mormon church mm -hmm. with regard to medicine is that, you know, science and medicine is trying to understand the workings of God. Of God, right. You know, like that's yeah. the way that they look at it. That's the way they, they approach it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there may be problems with that line of reasoning. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> but that's the way that they look at it. Yeah, but at know? least they still advocate for the use of medis medication, right. you know. Yeah. Um, so I would say that 
religion is not a reason that people in Utah aren't immunizing their kids. Mm. But I had a thought, and it would be interesting if they could do a study on kids that aren't being vaccinated to see if their parents have any ties to um, like things like oils, essential oils and stuff. Mm. I feel like, because that is definitely a huge thing in like Utah. Alternative and I medicine. Think, yeah, alternative medicine. Mm. And I feel like that might have something to do with it yeah, as well. Essential oils are just exploding here. Yeah. Like there's... Like, within two miles or three miles of this apartment where we're recording from, mm-hmm. there is a doTERRA uh, headquarters. My Oil Business. My Oil Business, and there's another one. Like, there's three big Aromatherapy essential oils. Aromatherapy and yeah, something like else. three right big there. companies uh-huh. for essential oils. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge here. Yeah. Um, I think doTERRA started in Utah. Did they? I think so. That, well, I, I think surprised. their headquarters are actually Pleasant Grove, but I may be... Okay. Far off base Maybe it. it's that building right there. It might be that building because they have mm. a huge warehouse, I think, like right behind it. But mm. that's a little off topic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stay um, on topic. Stay yeah. on topic. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> There's your nerd reference for the day. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, I think that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about on that. Um, just that. Another thing. Mm-hmm. Just that I, I had a thought while I was reading it is that, you know, like when you're looking to move and relocate, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain things that you look for. You look for like the standard of living, what the unemployment right. rate is, how the school systems are, like if you mm-hmm. have kids. And I feel like with this growing trend, like that's another thing you might want to factor in, like what the immunization rate is, especially if it's oh, yeah. close to 5%. You know, like mm-hmm. your kids are seriously at risk if, you, yeah. if you're in an environment where other kids are not vaccinated, which just, uh, I don't know. Just a headache. Yeah, it is something that I think is going to come up a lot more often, especially as you know. Right, right now there are like say California, more mm-hmm. liberal areas, which for some reason I don't know why this is becoming a thing in liberal areas. Yeah. But uh, but it is so. But there are also um, like more conservative groups. There's uh, some fundamentalist churches that I've heard of in like Texas and somewhere in the you know, in the Bible belt, mm-hmm. um, where they kind of have this cultist mentality and they just kind of don't like outsiders. And mm-hmm. so immunizations kind of get lumped into that. Mm-hmm. And so there've been lots of outbreaks, like mm-hmm. the one at Disneyland, yeah. there were hundreds and whatever people that got sick and then, or, uh, was it just that they got sick or that they died or no, what? no one died. No one died. No right. one died. Um, and there's then, only like 60 or something people. Yeah, but the, they touch on that in there too. It's like mm-hmm. most the majority of people there that were infected with measles did not get immunized. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. like that should be a huge red flag right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but these these uh, these outbreaks are happening more and more, mm-hmm. um, and so I think we're gonna see a lot more people talking about it, and, and it's gonna be. Uh, I don't know. It seems like there's this like counterculture movement against getting immunizations. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's going to be more and more pushback against that counterculture as more and more people are getting sick. Right. Um, especially when it's kids. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's going to factor in, I think, to the whole like immigration thing. Like if people mm-hmm. want to leave America, move somewhere else that is high on mm-hmm. immunizations, if you're not immunized, like that's mm-hmm. a huge, like they don't want you in the country. Like yeah. I feel like that's going to become a huge thing too. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. It's like there are serious consequences that go beyond the health of your child, too, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. So, are we ready to move on? Yeah. Okay. So, I found uh, another article. Um, this one's also kind of long. 
So I, I don't know how much I actually want to read from it. Okay. Uh, but it is a really good article. It's from The Atlantic. Um, Where's that based out of? The Atlantic? Mm -hmm. I've never heard of it. If that. I remember correctly, I think The Atlantic is British. Oh. I may be wrong about that. Anyway, they're, they're just a news agency. So the, the article was written um, September 28th, 2014. So it's a little bit, a little bit older. Um, and uh, the title is The Health Effects of Leaving Religion. How a Loss of Faith Can Manifest Itself in the Mind and Body. So right away, sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. so it's like right along like our experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they, they start with um, the story of a, a guy named Curtis Penfold. I don't know if you remember who he is. Maybe, well, I'll just read the first couple paragraphs. And um, I remember we talked about him about a year ago when this happened. Oh. Like it kind of hit the news. Um, so C Curtis Penfold got kicked out of his apartment, oh. fired from his job, and left Brigham Young University all in the same week. Mm -hmm. Okay, I remember. Um, he left BYU, a private university operated by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is the Mormons, mm -hmm. uh, because he had started to disagree with some of the church's views, causing tension between him and school officials. Isn't he gay? Um, it doesn't say that he's gay. His exit from the school caused him to lose his on-campus job, and he subsequently resigned from the Mormon church. Resigning from the church resulted in getting kicked out of his religiously affiliated private housing, and he received angry emails from old friends and phone calls from his disappointed parents who said he, quote, lost the light and used to be so good. <sighs> I felt so hated by this community I used to love, Penfold said. Penfold originally went to, to BYU to be around fellow Mormons, but over the course of the two and a half years he spent there, he started to find a lack of LGBT right, the lack of LGBT rights in the church distasteful and was unable to reconcile the idea of a loving God with the evil he saw in the world. This loss of faith in God went beyond his separation from Mormonism, leading to months of depression, anxiety over the prospect of no afterlife, and suicidal thoughts. Mm. He's better now, but for a while there, or for, for a while there were days when he wouldn't even leave his bed. So it goes on to talk about how lots of people, when they have a crisis of faith, um, they they go through a period of depression. Some people have thoughts of, uh, of suicide. Um, the idea that there's no afterlife or no God gives them lots of anxiety. Um, they, they don't have a way of processing things like death or calamities, that kind of stuff. And they also lose their support network. Um, let's see. So Americans are less religious than ever. A third of American adults under 30 and a fifth of all Americans don't identify with any religion according to a 2012 study by Pew Research, an increase from 15% in 2007. But though scientists have studied people who leave cults, research on the health effects of leaving religion is slim. Um, they talk about a few different studies that have been done that talk about different um, percentages of people leaving churches and uh, the differences between people leaving a strict church church or a, a more liberal church or just switching from one church to another church. Mm -hmm. 
Um, let's see. There are some studies comparing the health of religious and non-religious people. A 2012 study by Gallup showed that non-religious people are more likely to smoke less, or, or more, are, sorry, they're more likely to smoke and less likely to eat healthy and exercise than the faithful. Mm-hmm. A 2004 study published in the American Journal of Psychiatry sh- showed that religiously unaffiliated, unaffiliated depressed inpatients are more likely to display suicidal behaviors than religiously affiliated patients. In a 2011 study in the Journal of Persona- Personality and Social Psychology, really getting my tongue twisters in today, <laughs> showed that people in economically developed societies tend to have similar levels of subjective well-being regardless of religious affiliation. But studies rarely seem to single out people who have left religion. Even the Penn State study didn't clarify how recently people had deconverted. Recent deconverts are, understandably, those most likely to see health effects, according to Dr. Daryl Ray. So Dr. Daryl Ray, we've talked about him before. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, a psychologist who's written books. Um, in fact, they give a list of some of the stuff he's written down here. The God Virus and Sex and God, How Religion Distorts Sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did a segment on him a couple episodes ago. Um, you mentioned him. Right. Well, I, I did talk about him a little bit more in depth when we did the the one about sex and porn addiction and whatnot, because he he uh, he's one of those sci- uh, psychologists who very adamantly believes that there is no such thing as porn addiction mm-hmm. and, and uh, or sex addiction and that kind of stuff, and you know points to research done and the, you know lack of research done from the other side and all this kind of stuff and how it's you know religiously charged. Um, Let's see. So he says, not all of his clients recover within the typical three years. Getting over the fear of death after believing in an afterlife for so long takes some of them five years or longer. And about 5% of his clients can take even more time to stop fearing hell. Ray often compares learning about hell to learning a language. So here's a, a quote from him. When you were five years old and learning English, you never stopped to ask your parents why you weren't learning German. Um, you can just you just learn it. Uh, the same is often true of religion. When you're taught about hell and eternal damnation at ages four through seven, these strong concepts are not going to easily leave you. Just like it's hard to unlearn English, it's hard to unlearn the concept of hell. Um, they talk about a, a few other um, scientists that have, have come up with... Well, there's a Dr. Marlene Winnell, W-I-N-E-L-L, um, who's trying to get uh, a new diagnosis in the DSM um, called Religious Trauma Syndrome. Oh, talks I think you mentioned this. Right, so, which is basically... Okay. Uh, a, you know PTSD for people mm-hmm. who leave religion. So mm-hmm. like there's psychological trauma that happens when mm-hmm. you leave a, a particular type of religion, mm-hmm. especially the more fundamentalist or more strict types mm-hmm. of religion. Mm-hmm. And I would I personally would include Mormonism mm-hmm. in that category. Like yeah. they're very strict, they have lots of rules mm-hmm. and it's a very close-knit community. Mm-hmm. And it's very shame and guilt-based. Right. Um Anyway, so um so one of the things that I wanted to talk about this is that you know, it's it's similar to, um, you know, a few years ago there was there were a few studies that came out that showed that um, homosexuals 
are more depressed mm -hmm. than other individuals, okay. and they're more likely to commit suicide. And, and uh, children raised by homosexuals have uh, certain negative um, consequences, like socially, and mm -hmm. they tend to be bullied more and all mm -hmm. these kinds of things. Um, what they don't often consider when they're talking about these sorts of things is the fact that these are not a direct result of being gay right. or a direct result of not believing in God or mm -hmm. leaving a religion. Mm -hmm. It's it's the, the social um, paradigm that's shifting. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that you're going from this close-knit community, mm -hmm. this, this uh, worldview that you bought into completely, mm -hmm. and and changing that is traumatic. Mm -hmm. It was for me. Like, like when I was going through my period of doubts, I felt depressed. Like, I felt mm -hmm. anxiety. I felt all of these negative emotions. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to interact with my family? Mm -hmm. like, like, do I want to tell my family? Mm -hmm. like, like, for a while, I faked it. Mm -hmm. I would continue to go to church whenever my family invited me to go to church with mm -hmm. them, just so that they wouldn't ask me, um, you know, why like, why aren't you going to church? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, like I avoided it for a really long time, mm -hmm. and I think that's really common because it is um, a very stressful situation, mm -hmm. especially if you're not sure if you do want to leave yet. Mm -hmm. You know, like especially at the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so scary for so many people when they start having doubts, mm -hmm. because that starts down. I guess what you could call a slippery slope mm. of ideas that if it's not true, then this isn't true and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And be, you know, people are going to think of me this way and mm. they're going to treat me different in this way. And you know, what's it going to mean for my kids and all that kind of stuff. Like, like it's no wonder that there is um, a psychological toll. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. What was your experience with that? When you started having doubts? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely anxiety. I still experience anxiety, especially whenever my f family is involved. Mm -hmm. um, I think I don't know if I've ever been serious, like really depressed. I think I've experienced some form of depression every once in a while, but it's never been that bad. Just because I had you, mm -hmm. you know, like we were already like living together. We were very close already, so I had some kind of a support arm yeah. you know like i had something someone that was supporting me in mm -hmm. this journey out so i think that helped me a ton i think it's crucial yeah it is crucial and i think in that way i had it a little bit easier than a lot of people that mm -hmm. are coming out of it um and they're the only ones in their family or something right you know but yeah i still experience anxiety as far as mm -hmm. religion and my family is concerned yeah and, and not to mention the fact that you are losing your worldview. Yeah. Like, that is traumatic in and of itself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, making that big of a shift mm -hmm. in the way that you view everything, mm -hmm. it's massive. Right. You know? Anyway, um, I think that's all I want to talk about with the article. Um, I, I really enjoyed the article. I think everybody should read it. Again, that's The Health Effects of Leaving Religion from the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. um, they talk about a lot of really good stuff. Anyway, um... You had another article? Yeah, I have one more. Okay. And it kind of ties into the, you know, the Nelson thing uh -huh. that we were talking about and a little bit of the uh, blog that you talked about, too. Okay. So this is from um, Fair Mormon Blog. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> Fair Mormon is an apologetics uh, website mm -hmm. for the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. They're not directly endorsed by the church. Mm -hmm. 
But whenever it's convenient for the church, they will point to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I also saw this on Facebook, but... Uh, okay, so it is called, What Should I Do If I Have Received Revelation Different from Apostles and Prophets? Oh, yes, perfect. <laughs> I haven't yeah. read this, but I've, I've thought about this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, let me check and see if I can find when it was published. Because I found it, obviously, this uh, month. January 11th. Okay. So I would surmise that this is also in response to the whole LGBT policy that the church has come out with. Right, where they're losing thousands of members. Yeah. And there are lots of members that still consider themselves to be faithful that are speaking out against it as well. Right. And in in my recollection, like this is um, like a first, I feel like, for the church. Yeah. Especially, I mean, at least in my recollection, like having so many people be outspoken about their... Um, their issues with this mm-hmm. policy. Yeah. Um, and I think that's more or less why this was written. I, I wonder, because a lot of people compare this movement um, to when, in the 1970s, late mm-hmm. 1970s, when blacks were allowed to have the priesthood of the Mormon church yep. for the first time. Mm-hmm. Or, I guess, the second time. <laughs> <laughs> it was unofficial, um, I think, before. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, like, I, 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 I haven't talked to um, very many people about their experience at that time. You know, like, like, what was the church's response, like, from the general membership? Like, how did people um, react to um, stuff? Well, I guess they wouldn't have a backlash in the same kind of way because they started out with a, a racist policy and then they exactly. revised it to the other direction. Yeah. yeah. So, and they lived yeah. in a very racist, racist um, community. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the United States was fairly racist at the time that the church was you know, yeah. brought about. So it, it wouldn't have been that big of a shock to have the priesthood suddenly revoked from black members because mm-hmm. they didn't have a lot of black members to begin with. Well, I'm, I'm talking about in the 70s. Oh, in the 70s. Right. Cause so, so they already had the racist uh, policy oh, yeah. in place, mm-hmm. and then they took it away. Mm-hmm. Um, so there probably wasn't this public outcry going on. Right. For it wasn't asking going them the to other way. It. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, I misunderstood what you were saying. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just... Like trying to like yeah. compare the two. No, but I think that's a valid point because mm-hmm. it was it was giving people more rights. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Rather taking, taking away them rights. Away. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which in this day and age, in this social climate, like that's a huge thing. Oh yeah, rights are being taken away, especially for the gay community right yeah. now because it is, you know, it's such a big deal. Right. Even like, in the religious community, they mm-hmm. feel like their rights are being taken away too. Like all across the board, people feel like their rights are being taken away, mm-hmm. and so that's I think part of the reason why it's a huge issue. Yeah. It also helps because Facebook and social media are are mm. hugely popular. Like the it just spread explodes. Like yeah, they spread super fast, and there are more platforms for, for people to be able to express their opinion. It's not mm-hmm. just word of mouth. It's not just within a family unit. It's widespread. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the um, one of the first things that the article says is that um, it points out that members understand that revelation they receive is only for their areas of stewardship and responsibility. And I think he's implying here that you should understand that, that mm. any personal revelation you receive is not applicable to the so, entire church. Just to be clear, we're going back to the, the article that's oh, saying yeah. that, um, like, what happens when your personal revelation is contrary from, from what the church says. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, uh, and then what should you do if you sincerely believe you have received revelation that tells you that the highest councils are mistaken? So this was written with um, five steps, similar to the article that you read earlier. Okay. Um, 
the, these are steps you should take if your personal revelation differs from a prophet or an apostle's. Okay. So more specifically, if it differs from the LGBT policy. Right. <laughs> so the first step is seriously consider if you are mistaken or misled, mm-hmm. which is obviously hinting that you are. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Um, yeah. Do you have something to say about that? I was just going to say, um, it's funny that they don't um, tell you to um, use these steps when you're looking at whether or not the church is true. Like oh. when you're an investigator and they tell you to, to pray about the Book of Mormon to see mm-hmm. if it's true. And you have that spiritual witness we keep talking about, mm-hmm. you know, and you receive something that you consider to be a spiritual witness. They don't say, now, seriously consider if exactly. you might be wrong. Yeah. You know, it only cuts one way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like if you receive, if you think that the policy is right, you're not um, mm-hmm. encouraged to ask yourself if it's actually right. Yep. Yeah, you're yep. right. It only cuts one way. Yep. That's the way they do it. Uh-huh. That's the way they've always done it. Yeah. It's the way that they get people to and stay in. And they think that <laughs> that um, intellectuals, quote-unquote, uh-huh. scholars, mm-hmm. skeptics, are the biased ones. Yeah. It's like it's a glaringly mm-hmm. obvious thing that they aren't necessarily the biased ones. Right. Um, the second one that you're supposed to do is to pray to have your heart changed if this is necessary. In other words, if you, if you are... If you receive a revelation against what the church says, then pray again. Right. Um, but nowhere in the in like the following paragraph does he explain when it would be necessary. Mm-hmm. Again, implying that if it's contrary to what the church says, it's necessary for you to mm-hmm. pray to have your heart changed. Right. Um, and he offers up a bunch of uh, not a bunch, but. Um, a couple uh, story about like when an old apostle like had to do that. I can't remember who it was. It was I think it was Mary and G. Romney. Okay. I'm not gonna read that story because they're kind of long. Um, the third one is to be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, it tells don't jump, jump to any hasty conclusions exactly. that are wrong. <laughs> right. If you don't, if your heart, if you don't feel like your um, heart has um, changed as soon as you've prayed that first time, mm-hmm. you have to be patient because it's going to happen, but you mm-hmm. need to keep praying, keep waiting. Right, which is exactly what missionaries tell investigators right. who don't get that spiritual witness. Right. And, I mean, and personally, it would be like someone saying, well, you didn't wait long enough to have the truth of the church confirmed on you. Mm-hmm. It's like 25 years wasn't long enough. Like, right. what exactly is the cutoff for me being patient? Right. You know? I mean, it's the same with you. Yeah. Like, you even stated you prayed specifically for like 10 years right. and never received a spiritual confirmation and yep. you wanted one yep. like why isn't that enough right um so in that section he tells a story of brigham young um having a difficult time believing joseph smith when he came out with the uh three degrees of glory okay and he says that brigham young didn't blindly follow joseph um <laughs> he insisted that he have his own witness of it Okay. And he had to be patient when he, you know, until he received it. Mm-hmm. But he also says that he did not engage in debates or publish alternative newspapers um, that listed out all the reasons why it was like incorrect. And he, in, parenth- in um, parentheses, he says he makes a point to mention people of today blogging and posting on Facebook. Right. So, so don't ever voice your concerns. Exactly. But that's that is really hypocritical too to say mm-hmm. because of you know that Mormon blog that you just yep. read off. Like they have what did you call it? The blogernacle. Like oh, it's yeah, okay blogger-nackle. for Mormons to blog, yep. but it is not okay for anyone with a contrary opinion to blog about right. it. Because what they want the blogernacle to be for the right. for, so that's. 
for people who don't know, that's a tabernacle combined combined with blogs, uh-huh. bloggernacle, <laughs> um, which is what people refer to like the Mormon in group of blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, what they want it to be is an echo chamber of positive faith promoting um, stories mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. They want people to just constantly be saying, uh, like reaffirming their beliefs that the church is true and sharing stories to that effect. Mm-hmm. Like they don't ever want a dissenting opinion, mm-hmm. not in a public forum at least. Mm-hmm. If you have concerns, please consult your bishop. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So after you've seriously considered if you are mistaken or misled, and after you've prayed for a change of heart, and after you've been patient, if you still believe you are being told that the leaders are wrong, you are still not authorized to publicly preach or urge a different course of action or teaching. Huh. Yeah. So stifle your, or suppress your conscience. Exactly. And not only that, but it's a freedom of speech thing, too. Mm -hmm. And it goes with the whole... um, Facebook and alternative mm-hmm. like newspaper thing too. Who, like, who wrote this again? Uh, Sorry, I'm name. derailing. It's not someone that I recognize. Um, this is a general authority. Gregory L. Smith. It doesn't say who he is. Okay. Oh wait, name. you said this was fair Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He so this is, a, this is an apologist, not a church leader. Right. So Gregory L. Smith has been a member of Fair since 2005. His research areas include early LDS history during the Joseph Smith period and especially plural marriage. Okay. Okay. Right, so this isn't like, you know, Elder Nelson coming out and saying that this is a revelation. Yeah, he is an apologist, but still, Mm. like, it is, this is, like, I found it on Facebook, so friends or people that I've grown up with are liking and reading this stuff. Right, and spreading it. And spreading it. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And then the last thing he says is you may be taught things by revelation that are true and for your comfort, but it is still not your place to spread them publicly or use them to advocate for change. And the interesting thing that I found Mm -hmm. in this section, um, I'm going to read. So he basically just said that you can get revelation contrary to what the church says. You just need to keep it to yourself. Yes. And I'm going to read these. That's weird. I'm going to read three quotes from three um, previous prophets. So the first one is from Brigham Young. He says, Should you receive a vision or revelation from the Almighty, one that the Lord gave you concerning yourselves or this people, but which you are not to reveal on account of your not being the proper person, I think that's key right there, or because it ought not to be known by the people at present, you should shut it up and seal it, as secret as the grave. The Lord has no confidence in those who reveal secrets, for he cannot safely reveal them himself to such persons. So remember that last bit. Okay. Okay, and then Joseph F. Smith, quote, Not even a revelation from God should be taught to his people until it has first been approved by the presiding authority, the one through whom the Lord makes known his will for the guidance of the saints. The uh-huh. spirit of revelation may rest upon anyone and teach him or her many things for personal comfort and instruction, but these are not doctrines of the church, and, however true, they must not be inculcated. Oh, which is taught or distributed. Um, until proper permission is given. And then this last one is from Joseph Fielding Smith. Uh-huh. If a man comes among the Latter-day Saints professing to have received a vision or a revelation or a remarkable dream, and the Lord has given him such, he should keep it to himself. The Lord will give his revelations in the proper way to the one who is appointed to receive and dispense the word of God to the members of the church. Okay. Okay. Um, so then the writer of this article 
says, Thus, we might say that an urge or willingness to use such supposed revelation for public consumption or advocacy is additional evidence that our revelation is not from God. Okay. So he's he's implying here Mm -hmm. that if you have a revelation, quote-unquote revelation, that Mm -hmm. is contrary to what the apostles or the prophet has come out to say, it is not from God. Which is the the point that I think this entire article is leading to, but it's trying to keep under wraps and fairly subtle. Right. When I was, uh, it was either right before I went on my mission or, or soon after. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember in, uh, it was like Sunday school class or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of thing came up. It wasn't about a specific topic. It was just, you know, what do you do if you receive a revelation that's different than what the church teaches? Mm-hmm. And there was a, a guy who had, recently come back from his mission, he was a couple years older than me, um, who uh, who said, you know, one of the things that the church teaches is that if you do receive a revelation different than what the church teaches, you should defer to what the church teaches. Yep. It's like, well, isn't that circular reasoning? Right. Like, and it begs the question, why do, you, why do you say that you're allowed to receive personal revelation? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they... they uh, very often we'll, we'll include a, a, a caveat that you can reser- receive personal revelation on certain things. Right. So certain things like, say, the church is true. You right. can receive a personal revelation mm-hmm. that the church is true. Yeah. You can't receive a personal revelation that the Muslim faith is true. Right. Because that would be Satan. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you receive personal revelation, make sure you take it to someone of authority, mm-hmm. namely the bishop or the stake president or go right. as high as the prophet or the 12 themselves. To see if it's contrary to what they themselves mm. believe. Yeah, it's just it's it's like I, like what I said before with the missionaries and investigators. Mm-hmm. If if the investigator doesn't receive a quote spiritual witness that mm-hmm. the church is true, the missionaries will tell them to try harder with more sincerity. Mm-hmm. They just keep saying, keep trying mm-hmm. over and over and over again right. until you get it right, right, until you get the right answer. answer. Mm-hmm. You know that's the process. It's not this falsifiable process. Mm-hmm. You know, a scientific process mm-hmm. where if you don't receive the answer like you're told that you're supposed to then that would mean that it's not true. Right. It only affirms it. It can't falsify it. Mm-hmm. So that's how you know that it's a sham. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they're, they're trying to get you to induce this, this uh, you know, personal revelation kind of mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. Um, so that you'll buy into what they're selling you. Right. You know. Yeah. Anyway. So that all you, that all you had? Yeah. Cool. So... Um, the thing that I wanted to end on. Mm-hmm. So yesterday I had to go in to work mm-hmm. um, on my day off, and we had a, a meeting about you know different policies or whatever that mm-hmm. were changing within the company. And before the meeting took place, there were a couple of um, younger, you know, like like young twenties people that were uh, talking about something that was going on in Provo, mm-hmm. um, like on their drive to work. So Provo is is where um, BYU is located, yes. Brigham Young University. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm assuming that most of these people involved in this conversation are BYU students. I don't know for sure. If they're not, then they're probably going to the university, or, or what is it, Utah, Utah Valley, Valley U- University, which is right next door. Um, Do I know these staff? They're, they're newer staff. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. 
So they were talking about the new temple that is being built in Provo. It used to be the Provo Tabern- Tabernacle. Did they, they have they had open a fight. house? They, they had a fire. Yeah, the open house is going on right mm-hmm. now. Um, they had a fire. It burned down the whole like interior. They had like most of the out like the exterior of the building. So they decided to refurbish it as a new temple, mm-hmm. so that Provo would have two temples. Mm-hmm. And, and anyway, so so they've been working on this for years. It's been like three or four years that they've been rebuilding this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the open house is going on right now, and then it'll be dedicated, and then it will be a fully operational um, temple for the Mormon Church. Mm-hmm. And any time that anything major goes on in Utah for the Mormon Church, there is this group of uh, evangelical Christians who go to the event and protest. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, when we went to the mass resignation in Salt Lake City, they were there. Mm -hmm. Okay, these are the guys with the big uh, signs that say Mm JosephLied.com. Right. They weren't necessarily protesting. They were just trying to get people to come over to their side. Right, exactly. He's like, you're leaving the church. Come over to us. <laughs> well, well, that was that was their their purpose at that right. resignation. Right, I, that that's event. just what I was saying. Right. They but, weren't protesting that one. Right, but at this event, mm-hmm. at the open house, mm-hmm. they were on the street with you know the same signs or mm-hmm. whatever, and they were just protesting the church in general, saying you know Joseph Smith lied. He was you know charlatan. Blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Like, come join our church instead. Right. Um, and the response that these young people had mm-hmm. was. Um, what a waste of time this was. Um, if you don't like the Mormon church, um, why don't you move? Right. Like, why are you still here? Mm-hmm. And and I was just thinking of how ridiculous this was because, um, like, these are people who are not from Utah complaining about people from Utah not who don't like the Mormon church and are mm-hmm. speaking out against it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they moved here. Mm-hmm. To go to school, mm-hmm. and they're t- saying that other people need to leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just it it reminded me of you know the early days in the church mm-hmm. when the Mormons um, you know when they were like you know ten twenty thousand strong would move to a new area and just completely take over the political climate mm-hmm. of that area mm-hmm. and vote as a, a single voting block. Mm-hmm. And the locals that were there forever um, were scared. Yeah. They didn't like that the Mormons were taking over. Mm-hmm. They didn't like the politics of the Mormons. Mm-hmm. And so they there was backlash. Mm-hmm. There were there were people that uh, well, there were some fights that happened. There were, you know, people that formed mobs that, you know, tarred and feathered Joseph Smith and mm-hmm. you know a few other things. But Mormons went the other direction too. There were, you know, like uh, what's the name? Porter Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Um, who had his group of cronies that would go around and terrorize people, mm-hmm. you know, like Mormons did the same thing. Yep. You know, but it, but that's a very Mormon mentality mm-hmm. for some and reason. that was sanctioned by the prophet. Right. By, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joseph yeah, Smith. That sent, wasn't uh, just a renegade group of, of, group of Mormons. He set that up. Yeah. But, but, but what I'm asking is, like, why is this a Mormon thing? Like, like going to a place where they weren't and saying, this is our place now. If you don't like us, leave. I don't think it's just a Mormon thing, though. I think it's... I mean, the Mormons are definitely more outspoken about it. Uh But I think it's a big thing right now that we're seeing in the United States, too. Like, a lot of Republicans Uh and fundamentalists are telling people to leave if they don't 
believe in the same things that they do. Mm-hmm. Like immigrants are one of them. Like you don't people like the Second speak, Amendment, go to Canada. Yeah, exactly. You don't like the Second Amendment. If you subscribe to a more socialist, like healthcare system or something, mm-hmm. leave. Like they are actively telling people if you don't be- agree with what they believe is a Christian nation and the principles that they mm-hmm. think that it was established on, then you should leave. Mm-hmm. So I think it is widespread through the United States, but it is a big thing in Utah too. Yeah, that is an interesting point. It just seems to be such a pervasive thing within Mormonism where it just keeps creeping Mm up. Uh, And I mean, again, on that point, I think part of it is because they were, because Mormons, I mean, they were, why do you keep falling? (laughs) My chair is being dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Mormons were pushed out of all these areas. And I think, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, they finally found Utah. They finally were established as a state and now they... I think they're responding by saying, mm. you can't come in here and push us out because that's how what happened to them. So they're responding right. in the opposite way and want to push other people out. Yeah. I think that's part of it, too. Yeah. It, I don't know. It just it, it rubbed me really, um, I guess, roughly mm-hmm. when I heard a certain family member make a similar statement. Mm-hmm. She said, um, I don't know why anybody who wasn't Mormon... Uh, would live in Utah. Right. And on some level, that is true. It's like, why Mm -hmm. would you want to live here? Because Mormon culture is saturated throughout the entire thing. And to be honest, like, I think a large reason why some of these people stay, one, they were brought up here and it's what they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. The climate is nice, despite the snow. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got lots of recreation. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That was just my (laughs) input. But, you know, know, there's lots of mountains, lots of recreational things. Mm -hmm. Like, there are reasons why people want to stay. But I also think, like, economically speaking, not Mm -hmm. everyone can leave. Like, they can't just pick up and leave because... I mean, Utah, I mean, has a lower standard of living than a lot of states out there, mm-hmm. you know, and it's hard to just suddenly to move to transition. Yeah. Like if they wanted to go to a more liberal state, they can't just pick up a move and go to California because California mm. is so expensive, right. you know, like it doesn't, there are other factors to why they are staying mm. and it shouldn't be a, an issue for them fighting for what they believe in either, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I know. I just in in this particular meeting, I I really wanted to chime in and just mm-hmm. say like, so you guys are not for pluralism, multiculturalism. You right. Just, <laughs> you just don't want anybody that's right. not like you to be around you. Mm-hmm. And immediately they'll go on the defensive and say that's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying at all. Right. But it is what you're saying. It is what they're saying. You're saying they, because they have a contrary mm-hmm. point of view, they shouldn't be in an area that is dominated by one specific religion. Right. Which is exactly why Mormons shouldn't live in Italy. <laughs> they shouldn't live anywhere over there. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, that is an interesting conversation. Yeah, it, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So they were all for that for people moving. No one contradicted that. No, like they they were all just like, why would anybody protest the church in Utah? Like, like. What a waste of time! Go go get a go right. get a hobby like those right. kinds of things were being yeah. said. And I mean, I kind of get that too. Like, mm-hmm. it is kind of a waste of time because the Mormon Church is so pervasive and has mm-hmm. their claws in everything within Utah. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't discount their right to state their opinion. Well, and and the other thing, this is something that I noticed. Um, okay, so I graduated from BYU. Mm-hmm. I lived in Provo for like three or four. No, sorry, four or five years, mm-hmm. um, and then. Uh, then I, you know, moved to the city right next to Provo, mm-hmm. Orem, mm-hmm. where UVU is, um, and that's when I started getting into the local music scene, mm-hmm. like playing with some local bands and stuff. 
And I, when I started getting into the music scene, I noticed that there is a very large ex-Mormon community mm-hmm. in Utah County right. that is completely discounted and underrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they don't have a voice Mm-mm. here. They don't. No. And there are lots of people um, who are raised in this in Utah County, mm-hmm. in Provo and Orem, in Pleasant Grove, and like this, the surrounding areas, who have doubts and think that they're the only one. Right. And, and people like, you know, the josephlide.com people, I mean, I don't agree with all of the things that they're saying. I don't think that their church is any more valid than the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. But... But the fact that they have this website, it's going to get people to start asking questions. It's going right. to start the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like the younger kids, um, you know, like they're all about social media. They're all about the internet. Mm-hmm. They, they look things up. Mm-hmm. There are going to be kids who go to josephlide.com and find out stuff about the church and about Joseph's polygamy and mm-hmm. all these kinds of things that they didn't know before. Right. And that's going to push some of them out, and they're going to become ostracized. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially since you know Mormons you know, are, are actively trying to push them out. You mm-hmm. know, we, we talk about like, you know, BYU actively buying up all of the liquor licenses mm-hmm. in this, in the area mm-hmm. so that no businesses can come in and have a bar mm-hmm. or, you know, just serve drinks and that kind of stuff. It mm-hmm. beca- it, 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 they're actively trying to make everybody be homogenized and right. Mormon. Or like president mm-hmm. the, or the governor trying to defund Planned Parenthood by himself. Right. And, and is now being sued. Yeah. <laughs> which I love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the, a lot of the uh, people that go to BYU mm-hmm. don't realize that there is this subculture in Utah, Utah County of ex-Mormons. Mm-hmm. They don't see it. Right. The, all they see is BYU. Mm-hmm. And they're completely, well, it's a bubble. Mm-hmm. Like everybody talks about how yeah, Utah County is a bubble. Yeah, it's a bubble within a bubble. It, it is a bubble. Mm-hmm. And they don't see all of the people around them, and they don't consider the fact that these other people have concerns with the Mormon church having two temples in the same city. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they, they're just very narrow in the way that they, they view things, it seems. Yeah, they don't see the larger picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anything else you got? Nope. Okay. Well, I think that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. Yay! I remember it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you would like to contact us, you can email us at skepticsquaredpodcast at gmail.com. And you can check out the show's blog at www.blogspot. Wait, what is it? www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. That's the one. Um, as always, you can rate us and review us on iTunes and we really hope people start doing that because we're waiting for people to do that. At least rate us. Yeah, at least give us a rate. Because <laughs> um, we know that you're out there. I do get the uh, the statistics that tell mm-hmm. me that people are downloading stuff, so I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's our show. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>